God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey, everyone. This is Jason. Before we get into the episode this week, I just wanted to invite you to join the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You know, I've always wanted a place where we can all engage together with the ideas and topics raised on the podcast. So we've started Messy Conversations as a place for the Messy Spirituality podcast community to further engage with those topics, to engage in conversations about deconstruction, reconstruction, and everything in between. For the privacy and safety of everybody involved, it's a closed group. Healthy, respectful debate is, of course, encouraged, but any name-calling, finger-pointing, accusatory, or toxic conversation gets folks bounced from the group. Hopefully, that won't ever be an issue. We really just wanted a place where you can come and tell us what's on your mind as a result of the conversations that we have here on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash messy conversations with an S. It's plural. Messy Conversations, to join the conversation, and I hope to see you there. My guest this week is my friend, Andrew Parks. Andrew, I'm really excited to have you back on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Oh, it's good to be back. I love it. Friends, if you have not listened to Andrew's first or second episodes with us, please do so. Get to know who Andrew is, what makes him tick, a little bit about his history. Andrew, uh, like myself, you have some experience with a Pentecostal background. Is that right? Oh, yeah. That's born and bred. Has that been a uh, healthy experience for you? Has there been some toxic uh, toxic side to that? Um, I was really, I think, lucky because... While I was around some like what could be like looked at as unhealthy framing of the Holy Spirit or just like application, I guess, like I had a mom who really was all about that stuff in a good way. And so I was kind of shielded from that, if that makes sense. What were some of the positive ways the Holy Spirit impacted your formative years? So when I was 10, 10 to 11, was a time in my life whenever my parents were separated, but I didn't know why they were separated. I had no like concept of divorce. It's just that my my dad said that grandpa was sick, so he needed to live with grandpa, uh, even though grandpa was like only you know twenty five minutes away from the house. And like there would be times that he would drop me at home, and I'd be like, "Come in, I want to show you something in my room." And he's like, "No, I need to go home and or go back to dad." And anyway, and I just was very confused. It was very stressful. Well, during this time, I went to church camp. At the time, we were at like a, what's called an Assemblies of God church, one of the original Pentecostal denominations. I went to I went to the church. And I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to like church camp, and where at church camp you have Salvation Night, you have Sanctification Night, and then you have Holy Spirit Night, et cetera, et cetera. There's kind of like a formula which can turn a lot of people off, which I understand. But as a kid, you're not aware of that kind of stuff. It just is what it is. And anyway, so I was at this church camp. In the middle of the week, I called my mom because I had all this emotional turmoil and anxiety that I didn't know why I had it. But it just made me like if I wasn't at home or I was safe or comfortable, I was like, I want to be home. I'm homesick. And I, I called her. My mom has actually related this story to me several times, relayed. I called her and really wanted to come home, come home early. And she felt like God told her that I needed to stay because I was going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
So she didn't tell me that on that phone call. I mean, I'm a 10 year old. She just said, no, honey, I think, you know, I think you need to stay and, you know, you're going to be home in a couple of days. It's okay. And I mean, I remember some of those phone calls. I was just like crying because I was like, I felt alone and confused and all these things. And one of the last nights of camp, it was Holy Spirit night, so to speak. They invited people up to be prayed for. And I don't really remember the exact process. I just remember that I experienced something. And then I go down and like the presence of God was like all over the place. Like I was just feeling God in all these ways. I'd never felt God crying, falling out, being quote slain in the spirit, whatever you want to call that kind of stuff. Just all sorts of phenomena were happening to me. A funny part of this story is I would go into these little prayer circles and God's presence would get so strong that I would literally fall out of the circle. And to me, there were kids from our church (laughs) sitting on the front row that had this skeptical look on their face. And I remember being like, no, look, it's real. Watch, I'll do it again. And I would go back in. (laughs) I'd go back in and it would happen and I'd fall out. And I'm just like, see, it's real. That, that That was like the time in my life when I experienced what I would call Uh, if you want to give it this label, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I had the classic Pentecostal experience, spoken tongues, still speaking tongues today, lots of other gifts and stuff and all those kinds of things happening. After that, you know, like my parents got divorced. I went through a lot. Like it, it was almost like I got strengthened. I remember later in life thinking back to that time and thinking about it in my like time with God and like realizing that time in my life was God putting his hand on me and saying, You're mine and you're nobody else's. That to me, like, that's something that Holy Spirit, like, you know, Paul uses language like the seal of redemption or like stuff to refer to that. And it's it's like the Holy Spirit in us is this proof of purchase, so to speak, and that God has claimed us. And so when I think about that story, it's like that kind of lines up with that language is God opened me up to his spirit and showed me his spirit in me, put his spirit in me, it was like, I'm God's. I'm not the enemies. I'm not brokennesses. I'm not all of these. I'm not all these other things that come up that your flesh tries to tell you that you are. And it was uh, pretty powerful for me. And I've experienced, and since then, that, that created a culture in my life of Holy Spirit in the sense of like, I'm looking to God to to get answers. I'm looking to God to get freedom, to get healing and all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of like the the first time Holy Spirit became important in my life. Okay. So for a lot of our listeners who may have had some experience in Pentecostalism, there has been a dark side. There's been a manipulative, coercive, I don't know, almost a you're less than if you haven't experienced what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. where the gifts Uh, such as speaking in tongues, which you mentioned. And I embrace all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've seen, I think, all of them at work in life and ministry. But when they start being used as a litmus test for who's in and who's out or who's got the goods and who doesn't, that can really lead people to a really dark place. What do you say to somebody who's listening today, who's listening to to you talk about this wonderful experience with the Holy Spirit, who has been through that side of it? Well, I've been through that side of it too, in the sense that my experiences with the Holy Spirit never made me think, oh, I've reached some place that nobody else is at. I got what I needed when I needed it. Holy Spirit is not about creating levels to this experience with God. 
Holy Spirit is teacher, comforter, counselor. That's one of the things that my mom actually kind of protected me from. So I was raised in this Assemblies of God church, and their thing was, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you ain't filled with the Spirit. Like that's one of their 16 fundamental truths that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you is your ability to speak in tongues. And like everybody's got to get their tongues kind of a thing. And my mom was not raised in that kind of Pentecostalism. She, her exposure to the Holy Spirit was more of the free-flowing Jesus movement, hippy-dippy, charismatic renewal stuff. So she was like, no, Holy Spirit does all sorts of things with all sorts of people. You can't put Holy Spirit in a box. You know, it's like some people speak in tongues. Some people don't speak in tongues. It's not, it's not a thing. To those who have been through that, your wound or your hesitancy is legitimate when it comes to this stuff. Because if Holy Spirit has been used as a winnowing fork to say that these people are chaff and these people are wheat, that's not Holy Spirit. That is a false approximation of an attempt at power that is not in, that doesn't have anything to do with God. The kingdom of God consists of invitation, not compulsion. So in everyone's walk with God, there is always, there's always room to get more. There's always room to experience more of God, to find more of God. And it might take four months. It might take four years. It might take 40 years for you to get the thing that you're kind of looking for. But it's God is never saying you have to do this to get this. You have to be this to get this or anything like that. God is like, I'm always here and I want to give you what's best for you right now. Just come hang out with me. Yeah, I, I I really hate when people try to make Holy Spirit that. My passion for talking about the Holy Spirit, because I feel like Holy Spirit in some senses in my journey into more deconstructed, progressive uh, faith kind of gets ignored in some places or forgotten about because of those woundings that, um, you know, kind of came up. Uh, but, but we're talking about because of the people that prostituted the name of Holy Spirit for their own selfish gain. I, I you know, it's like I, I know who Jesus is and I know who Holy Spirit is. And they're not these televangelist, hyper manipulative, hypnotic bullshit that people try to say that they are, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. All right. So. We've talked about the toxic side of it. You and I have both experienced that. I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. But let's kind of reframe a healthy theology of the Holy Spirit. Um, and obviously, you know, neither you or I have all the answers or have this thing all figured out. We are not the source of all knowledge. Amen. We're going to screw this up in one way or the other. But uh, today, who do you believe Holy Spirit is? <laughs> I believe. Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. I believe that you are Jesus Christ because of what Paul said. So first and foremost, the Spirit is within you, whoever you are. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Holy Spirit is in you working out, working out the glory of God within you no matter where you're at. That to me is is so crucial because concepts like baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I actually think there's some 
there's some legitimacy, some goodness to that. But this idea of, oh, you need to get to the next level, that is, if you want to stand on scripture, it's not really scriptural. And if you want to stand on history, it's not actually really historical. There's no like, even though people describe their experience that way, all of them will say, well, I saw God working in my life at this time or this time or this time. If you want to go reason, it's like, how is how is it possible that God, who is infinite in every single way, can somehow not be in you until you say, come in me. And I think like, so that's that to me is really important. Holy Spirit is in you right now, whoever you are. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is within you. The kingdom of heaven is not far off because Holy Spirit, the fuel, the essence, the energy of the kingdom is within you working out God's kingdom. Yeah, I think it's so important to distinguish there that he, and I know this is what you're saying, Jesus was not speaking to Christians Ooh, preach. when he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah. So are you saying the Holy Spirit infills every human? Yeah. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. I am. Is there a distinction between the infilling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit? Yes and no. Going back to my Baptist roots here. <laughs> to me, so let's let's tackle that term baptism of the Holy Spirit. That so there's a, there's a few different like approaches to that, but the main one that I'm familiar with is like uh, you get saved, and in some circles, then you get sanctified, and then third, you get baptized in the Spirit. Some places will put sanctification and salvation together, and then it's just the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I I believe, stems from the desire of a heart for more and crying out for more. But we see in Paul's letters that Paul talks about being continually filled or continually baptized, immersed in the Spirit. And so it's this thing of like, I mean, I know that I've experienced what I would call being born again countless times in my life. I've experienced like the Holy Spirit in so many different ways where it's like, oh my goodness, I found something new. It's like a new mystery has been revealed. And I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is really just best expressed as someone who's longing for more, and then they find more when it comes to God. To me, it's that simple. It doesn't need to be some theological hurdle. Like the baptism of the Spirit or the infilling of the Spirit, the continual infilling of the Spirit is, I really feel like I need more of God. Like I want to discover more. And whatever that more is, that more can literally be anything that you set your mind to in God, because God is infinite. But that more and that receiving of more, to me, is kind of the crux of the Holy Spirit, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do you see Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus of Nazareth? Everything that he does but I'm a little biased. (laughs) You know, so I come from like charismatic Pentecostal upbringing. So we like to talk about like, Jesus is the example of the perfect Christian life. Like if Jesus did it, you can do it. Jesus said that you'll do greater things than me. Like I grew up hearing that my whole life. And I still, I believe that. That kind of fuels my desire for more because it's like, okay, I'm learning how to love in a way I've never loved. And in some ways I'm seeing my love being expanded to places that Jesus's love was never really talked about in the scripture. So I'm like, okay, that's one sense that maybe I'm kind of doing a quote greater thing, you know, but I still, I've never raised the dead and Jesus raised the dead. And I'm like, I don't need to say, well, I've got this really good loving theology 
and that's enough. And I don't need to say, like, I got to get all these miracles and signs and wonders, but I don't need to do that thing. It's like, to me, it's all interconnected. Um, so in Jesus's life, I see the Holy Spirit at work in the way Jesus, like, keeps secrets. Like, when he will say really hard things, and then everybody except, like, his 12 homies, like, run away from him. And he goes, well, to them, it's not been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to you, it has been given. And some people will look at that and be like, is is Jesus saying that they're better than the other people, that they're more special? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, you know, they kind of gave up, but you guys haven't given up. I said this weird stuff about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and you guys are still here. You want to go deeper. You want to know what's behind the curtain. And so you'll get it because you don't give up. So I see Holy Spirit there. I also see Holy Spirit in all of these creative miracles. Jesus didn't come down and have like a checklist of how to work his spiritual gifts. He was like, oh, everybody's hungry. Uh, Can you guys find some food? And we're going to pass it out. And then they start passing it out and they never stop passing out a little boy's lunchbox. You know, because these things are written down and because they were curated and selected by apostles or the or like with Mark, like, you know, like friends of the apostles or with Luke and all these things, because these events were curated and picked to create impact. It's easy for us to look at the structure of Jesus's life and think that Jesus just came down and had like a detailed bullet plan on how to do things. Jesus is supposed to be the visible image of the invisible God. And the invisible God is the creator of all things, Mr. and Mrs. Creativity. That's who God is. If we look at Jesus and think that he didn't have spontaneous moments and he didn't have creative moments where he's like, oh, let's do it this way, then you're, you're, I, I feel like you're missing an aspect of who Jesus is. And so I see Holy Spirit there in that creativity. And to be so, so clear, and this, this to me is, if this is ever missed in the conversation about Holy Spirit, then stop talking about Holy Spirit. Every time Jesus is moved with compassion, every time you see Jesus loving, when you look at the cross where Jesus let the people he loved murder him, that love is the essence and the root and the ineffable quality that never changes about Holy Spirit. If, some, if you're experiencing something spiritual in your life that's moving you and pushing you, but it's not moving you to love, it is a counterfeit. It is not the spirit of the one true God because the, it's like Paul says in Corinthians 13, in between his two big Holy Spirit chapters, 12 and 14, he makes that huge point. He's like, look, I can speak in every tongue in heaven and on earth, but if I don't have love, I'm just a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. And it's like, I can know everything. I can have the secrets of the angels. I can prophesy per- perfectly. But if I do it for my own gain and I don't do it for love, I have nothing. And, you know, we we have, so many of us have grown up hearing about televangelists who, like, I remember in my high school senior psych class, we watched this thing about this televangelist from the 70s and 80s, who's still in operation today. Uh, actually, it was 80s and 90s. And he, but he would have his wife gathering up the prayer cards that people filled out before 
the before the event and he would have a little in-ear piece that she would speak in and he would act like he was getting words of knowledge about these things that God wanted to heal to try to manipulate people into giving him money and probably at the same time to manip- to try to manipulate God, to try to be like, well, God, if I say you're going to do it, you better do it or you're going to look bad. That kind of stuff is really, really bad. And that kind of stuff is all for selfish gain. And it's not what Paul's talking about. It's not the gospel being preached regardless of motive. So he's glad the gospel's being preached. That is somebody trying to prostitute an aspect of God for their own personal gain. And that's not okay. You can't pimp God out. But I want to share a story that I heard years ago that examines the other side of this. I was listening to a pastor talk about um, a fellow who was a prophet. And that's the word that People have all sorts of things. But in this context, prophet means somebody that hears things from God clearly and tells people about those things. Um, And as a side note, that definition, that means that anyone listening to this podcast can be a prophet. I mean, the beginning of uh, Corinthians 14, it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. I think prophecy is something that's really, really important. And prophecy is simply defined by Paul as edification, encouragement, and it's it's about building up. It's It comes from a place of love. I, I've known people that try to, quote, prophesy, and they're trying to tear people down or condemn and do all these things. And it's like, whoa, bro, not, not that. But regardless, so this pastor talks about prophecy, uh, this prophet. The prophet um, was with a group of guys, uh, a group of guys and gals praying for a young woman who is going to be sent out into the mission field. And as they're praying for her, this prophet hears God tell him, I want you to tell this girl that I hate mommies and daddies. The prophet's like, what? What does that even? That's so. He starts questioning himself. He's like, is that? That's not. No, that's stupid. What do you mean you hate mommies and daddies? I can't say that to her. What are you? What are you talking about? As it happens, whenever you really feel like God is pushing you to do something, he eventually relents and because he knows God is telling him to say this. So he goes down to this next, goes down to this girl and he says, hey, listen, God wants me to tell you that he hates mommies and daddies. And this girl turns every shade of purple, freaks out, starts bawling, just has an episode and they end up praying for her and, and, and working with her and all this stuff. Come to find out. This young woman, when she was growing up, her aunts and uncles would sexually abuse her and her cousins and call this sexual abuse game mommies and daddies. Oh, wow. God's power is for a person. It's not for show. We see this in the life of Jesus where he heals somebody and then he tells them, don't tell anyone. Keep this a secret. And that's because Jesus knew that it's I'm Jesus loved that person. He wasn't doing those miracles to post about it on Twitter to get people to come to the next crusade. When Jesus did a miracle, he was moved with compassion. Jesus had all these signs and wonders that followed him wherever he went, but those were things that we called out as signs and wonders. For Jesus, this was just how best can I love this person? And that's the essence of who Holy Spirit is supposed to be. 
I've seen miracles in my life. I've seen crazy Holy Spirit stuff. I've experienced it even in the last week, just with this class that I'm taking and the culture that I'm in. But it's it's never this thing of like, let's go promote it. And that goes against the American consciousness. We think, oh, something crazy happens. We need to like get people in and try to make it happen and all this stuff. And to an, in one sense, yeah, if there's more that we can do to help people and to bless people and to heal people and to whatever it is, I want that. But I don't want it at the cost of the character of Jesus. I don't want it to be something that fuels ministry. Like something for me that's a, a big, big catch in my heart is if if I remember watching this guy on uh, some Christian network years ago, and he had this book about the secrets of the supernatural. And he was like, and you can have it for a donation in 1999. I'm like, a donation? You're selling the book. If you have secrets to God, make those secrets free. That's not, don't make, there's no paywall between me and God. There's no paywall between anyone and God. And the instant you try to put that there, you are a false prophet or whatever you want to call it. The Didache, uh, which is a, a collection of the teachings of the of the disciples, it was considered for the canon, but ultimately they found that it was too redundant for everything that was already in it. In chapter 12 of the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E for the listeners, I believe it's either chapter 12 or chapter 11, it talks about the qualities that you use to identify false prophets. And it's very interesting. If those, if the, and one of the main things in there is a prophet can come and stay with you one day, two days. And be fed those one and two days. But if on the third day, I'm, I'm butchering this, but it's something like this. On the third day, if they keep asking, send them out. And basically saying, if a prophet asks you for money, they're not a real prophet. Like if they want to be paid for their services or whatever it is. And that's one of the reasons that I really respect like the vineyard movement of churches, which was founded by John Wimber. Because John Wimber talked about that all the time. He was like, do not ever ask for money for what you're doing. If somebody offers you money when you pray for them to be healed and you are, refuse it. Because that that represents something transactional that God doesn't want in his kingdom. And I think it's really important to be like, freely you have received, freely give. Because if if we're not supposed to worry about, if we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, because Jesus says the father takes care of the sparrows. And if, if they're fed and clothed, how much more will he take care of you? Then there's like, it's like we try to create all these contingency plans and use God as the currency for those contingency plans. And the Holy Spirit does bring you, as many have said, out of your comfort zone. It does bring you to a place of risk in faith. But that risk is the risk of believing that Jesus meant what he said, not this risk of I'm going to somehow do this crazy thing and God's going to have to back me up because I want to get a million dollars or whatever it is. Well, my own experience with Pentecostalism, my kind of introduction to the Holy Spirit, you know, I was raised in a, well, I raised in ministry in a Southern Baptist church. So the Trinity in my mind, was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I heard that there was something going on near Pensacola, Florida. It started on Father's Day, 1995. They called it an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there were some pretty bizarre signs and wonders that seemed to be taking place there. And obviously that caught my interest. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time and felt it was my job to protect 
our young Christians from the influence of anything that wasn't real, anything that could be used to manipulate them. And so uh, after a, a year or two of the what is now known as the Brownsville Revival, the team that was leading it came to Birmingham, where I was in ministry, and invited all of the local churches to a Holy Spirit outpouring service or whatever they called it. And uh, there was a pastor section. And I went there to mock. I went there thinking, I'm going to go to gather the evidence to prove to everybody in my sphere that this is a bunch of hype and it's not for real. And I remember, you know, Steve Hill, who's no longer with us, was the evangelist of the Brownsville Revival. Lyndall Cooley was the worship leader. John Kilpatrick was the pastor. There was a guy, a prophetic type named Michael Brown, who was there. Uh, they all took their turns and shared stories and testimonies. And, you know, some of it was good. Some of it, you know, I, I didn't care that much for. Uh, the worship was incredible, uh, the music. But I remember something happening in my heart during the course of the gathering. And I remember when they gave the altar call for people to come and experience the more. You know, like I said, I went there to mock, but something drew me. And I walked forward out of the pastor section to respond to that altar call. And the the ministers from the from Brownsville were walking through the crowd, uh, you know, laying hands on people and praying over them. Nobody ever touched me. Nobody ever got to me, but something happened to me. And, and a friend of mine who was there says that he literally saw me picked up and knocked back just by some unseen force. And I know that sounds bizarre, and, and I'm sure I've romanticized it in my mind, but I know that in that moment, as I'm sprawled out in the floor, again, I went there to mock this, okay? I did not go there to experience this. I'm laying on the floor, and it's like a light shining brighter than the sun is shining through me. I, My father and I, had, my dad, had built a wall between us, uh, they had been there for years. Uh, we barely spoke at that point. And I remember the love of God shining through all of that darkness and that toxicity of that relationship and just blasting through that wall. And something happened to me that night. Uh, and, and I immediately you know, started visiting the Church of God and moving towards prophetic ministry and you know, getting fascinated with the end times. And I totally <laughs> went down that Pentecostal road, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, in, in many ways that years later I would regret. Uh, was invited to leave that Baptist church because I took some of the youth with me to Pentecostal services where they had similar experiences to my own. But something real did happen there. And for all the abuse and for all the toxicity of Pentecostalism, something genuine, there's something genuine to the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit's power moving through followers of Jesus that is so sacred and so special. And you know what? I didn't get up off that floor thinking I knew everything. I got up off the floor thinking I loved everyone. Ooh, baby. That is powerful. That's the, you know, I grew up hearing all about Brownsville. Like Brownsville basically came to the church that I was attending. And it was like, we had like two years of the same kinds of meetings when I was like seven and eight years old. I remember all just all sorts of different kinds of things and stuff. And 
like what, that story that you just, that's why I could never throw the baby out with the bathwater because it was like, I know God does crazy stuff and I want people to have whatever they need. You know, what comes, what comes to mind. So like you talked about, they, they invited people up front to experience the more that right there, people instantly could be like, what is the more? Let's put more in a box. Let's figure out what means more and what means not more. And here's how you can get more to your church. <laughs> Five easy steps to more. Right. I just, I, I really have a heart for people that hear that and get really mad because I've been there. I've watched meetings and been like, this is just hypnotism and biological hacking and it's not real or i'll be like this looks just like stuff happening in india these kundalini meetings or these things or these things or whatever i just i just really want to say to that heart that that has those thoughts and feels that almost rage at the thought of these things i hear you these experiences are out of the ordinary these experiences are weird these experiences can be scary, especially when you're on the outside looking in. Being raised in it, there were many, many years that I would have nothing, quote, happening to me. I would get, I'd be like, God, I want to feel you again like I did when I was a kid. Like, is this all just fake? Is this not real? And I would get into that place of just like, well, this is obviously fake because I'm not feeling it and da 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 or whatever. This is what I know about more with God. More with God is more than where you're at. And for some people, that doesn't mean it's it's never going to look the same for everyone. It just isn't. The thing is, in those revivalist cultures, you see people that fake it. People do fake it. People want to be included and want to belong so much that they just, they fake it. I have been that guy. I have faked it because I wanted to be a part of the crew. And the thing is, you can't. You can't fake it because the people that are really in tune know when you're faking. I remember I was at a prayer meeting that I went to for over a year. It was called Fire Call, classic charismatic prayer meeting name. <laughs> and I went to this thing for over a year and I saw stuff go on and I was like, and I, 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 would, I was the guy that would pray what I thought needed to be prayed while everyone else was just seeking for more of God. And people knew it. They were just like, they knew that I was like kind of trying to control things. And then I had an experience like a year, over a year into going to this prayer meeting every Sunday night where, and it was like maybe like 10 to 20 guys where God like moved on me in a way that I hadn't experienced in probably 10, 11 years. I remember somebody, wow, like I, I was moved to like lay out on my face and just, I was crying out to God. And I remember people came and started praying for me. And one of the people said, you've been on the outside looking in. You're not there anymore. You're going to have these feelings. You're going to have these experiences. And while they're praying that I'm having a crazy experience, like it just felt like this vibe, this like vibe, this like warm tingling vibration, like moving through my upper body. Like I was just like, I was heavy. I couldn't move. I didn't know what it meant, but I was like, this must be God because I can't control this. And I was just freaking out or whatever. And that was the beginning of a bunch of different stuff. But what I learned after that was God was like, he, he re, cause for me, I wanted those experiences as a way to kind of prove that God was real. I know that whenever I was criticizing all of those weird things, I was like 
trying to be like this. I, I wanted to, con- I was trying to control something because I wanted to somehow make my God more real because it made more sense. It was this attempt to try to put God in a box so I could give God away easily. In all of that, the mystery of those experiences to me speaks not of something that can be controlled, but of, of someone, of, of a God who speaks to everyone differently. There's a, there's a guy that I know about that I've listened to messages from and seen testimonies from that does all sorts of crazy stuff around the world. And he never feels anything. I just heard him say a couple of weeks ago, he said, yeah, I, in the 14 years I've known the Lord, I've never felt anything until just recently. And this is a guy that has like story after story after story of crazy miracles happening in his life. Seeing people healed on the street, at restaurants, all, on airplanes, all over the place. He like, uh, the, uh, he's, it's crazy. And he's like, I haven't felt anything. And My passion for Holy Spirit, like why I wanted to talk to you about this is because at the core, Holy Spirit is who I mentioned earlier. Holy Spirit is teacher, counselor, and comforter. Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus has taken up residence within you. Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. And he talks about him and his father coming to make their home in you. Our hearts are the seat, the throne room of heaven. Heaven is not this special magic city out in the middle of outer space that God is sitting in and we're waiting for it to come to earth. Heaven is within you. And not in some paltry, nice, emotional metaphor way. Okay, I want to. I'm going to lean into the weird here for a second. There is, there are realms upon realms that we do not see. There is unseen stuff happening around us all the time. And the reason we don't see it is because we don't need to focus on it. But it's happening. It's all the and some people do see stuff, and that's because God wants them to interact with it. That's cool. Whatever. It's weird. I don't understand it. I just let them do their thing. But your heart. The center of your being is the place that God dwells. When Jesus said the inside of the cup has to be cleaned before the outside, that's what he's talking about. When you become a new creature in Christ, a new creation, that is God going to the innermost parts of your being, of yourself, and creating a space where he always dwells and is never going to leave. And, you know, I'm thinking about the stuff that we talked that mostly I talked about classic uh, (laughs) that I talked about today. And it didn't have the like coherent narrative that I would like things to have, especially with Holy Spirit. But I think that that's kind of the point that my narrative with God, my personal relationship with God is unique to me and God. God relates to me differently than he relates to you, Jason. In the same way that your friendship with me is different than your friendship with your wife or your children or our mutual friend, Bo, the quality of our relationship is unique to us. And I really want to encourage any listeners that this is like provoking your heart because I really feel like some of the people that are going to listen to this are feeling a stirring of something. They're like, I mean, I know there's something more, but I don't know how to quantify it or whatever that is. And I really want to speak to you right now and just say, 
your relationship with God is special. The quality of your relationship with God is unique to you. And the places in your life where you have felt like I'm not getting anywhere, I would dare to say that perhaps you're trying to copy somebody else's relationship with God. You can be you 100% with God all the time. The root of every season, of every moment in my life that I've grown in my relationship with God has come from a place of pure, raw honesty. Whether it was getting a handle on sobriety and self-discipline, or whether it was discovering that I had hated people and objectified them for so many years of my life, or whether it was learning that I have to stop trying to control everyone around me, all of those moments came from me being honest about what was going on and realizing what was happening. Those dark, scary parts of you that you don't want to show anybody, first of all, God already sees them, but God is not mad at you about them. God loves you when you don't love yourself. And that's the first thing Holy Spirit teaches us. To quote uh, Jason Upton, who's one of my favorite musicians, he says, in a paraphrase, quote, paraphrase, haha, he says, when you learn to love yourself, you discover that Jesus has been there loving you the entire time. These places that you don't experience God's love, when you've made these false images of yourself as acceptable or the right kind of person or whatever it is, Jesus doesn't interact with false selves. Jesus interacts with you, the core of who you are. These idols of ourself that we create, it's almost like we create graven images of ourself in our mind. Jesus, as much as, as the Ten Commandments say not to engage in idolatry, God doesn't do that either. Idolatry, idols, that word is a word that simply means worthless thing. And these false images that we create and project of ourselves, they're worthless because the worth is in who you really are, in the messy, in the perfect, in the good, in the bad, in all the, all the labels you want to give yourself. Who you are is where the value is. And God wants to smash every idol that you've made out of yourself because he wants you to look at the, at the little broken child that you're trying to protect in your heart and say, this is who I love. I love you. I love you. I love you no matter what. And this is the consciousness that God is releasing into America right now. This is why so many of us are experiencing this, this tumult, this overwhelming change of like, I have to love everybody? Because God is saying, I already do. And all of you have been asking for so much of your life to be like me. Well, I'm not like these abusive fathers and mothers that you learned and gained trauma from. I am better. And that better is that love that never stops flowing no matter what. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you think about yourself, the people that are mad at themselves and hating themselves and pushing this away and don't know even how to love themselves, God loves you so much. And that's, that's the core of Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, I think one of the most important, well, I hate to categorize it, but one of the first things Holy Spirit went to work on in my life was teaching me how to love myself, which I had so many years of religion stacked against that purpose, teaching me how to hate myself and, uh, you know, try to crucify that flesh and die to this and die to that. And, you know, I found some of the things that Holy Spirit was trying to bring to life were things that I was trying to crucify. There were things that I hated about myself that I thought God hated about myself that the Holy Spirit seemed to be raising to the surface and saying, no, this is who you are. This is who I made you to be. Andrew, what are some practical, just everyday ways that you encounter Holy Spirit in your life? Uh, for me, one of my like primary ways I connect with God is I really love worship music, and that's just me. But I, but I, but so the practice really is for me knowing where I connect and doing the things that help me connect. So for some people, worship music is like nope, and I get that because there's a lot of bad stuff up there. Ooh, baby. But so a practical way is to think, okay, when do I feel the most connected with God? That could be listening to worship music. It could be reading your Bible. It could be reading uh, a fantasy fiction novel that you love. It could be going and taking a walk in nature, going and taking a walk around your neighborhood. It could be any number of things and setting aside a time to just kind of intentionally do that. The the quiet time revolution of the 90s when like devotional time became like a really big deal, it kind of brought this formula with it. Forget the formula. Be yourself with God. That's how I encounter God the most. Another thing that I do that I really, really like is when I wake up in the morning, I try to have one of the first things I think about just be just saying hello to God. Like just being like, hey, hey, dad, like, what are you doing? Starting my day off with dialogue because God's abiding in me and God's abiding in everyone. The way that we experience God's abiding presence is by recognizing it. The first step to experience is recognition. And if you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't recognize. And so waking up and being like, good morning, God. What do you want to do? Or what do you want to say? Or it's just good to see you or whatever. That works. To people that that's like, what do you mean? What That's weird or whatever. Just be honest. If you think everything that I've said today is utter bullshit, good. I'm not Holy Spirit. Go to God on your own and be like, I heard all this stuff and it made me mad. And God will commiserate with you. And God and God will dialogue with you in the way that you understand. It doesn't mean you're going to hear voices or you're going to see visions or all these kinds. Of, God speaks to you the way that you know how to speak. Like he will teach you how to listen. And the thing about like a, a baby, because you have to become a baby to enter the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, I am a squalling infant. Like babies have to be held, picked up, swaddled, fed, burped, changed. Everything has to be done for them. Your father in heaven is a good father. And as Jesus said, he like he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Which of you being a father would give your your child a snake if they asked for a fish? Like God doesn't, to those that think asking for more from God is going to somehow open you up to weird, bad stuff, God's good. And the only reason that you're afraid of that is because a an evil image of God or a bad image of God or God, the image of God is like vindictive or mean or whatever it is has been given to you. I tell you, that's not your inheritance. But I just encourage everyone to just 
to really, that's the core of everything I want to say about Holy Spirit is to own your own experience and let God speak to you the way that he speaks to you, not anybody else. My favorite passage of scripture, well, one of them is a passage in Jeremiah 31 that's repeated in Hebrews 8. And it's speaking of the new covenant. In the new covenant, he says, first, I'll remember their sins no more. And then second, it says this line, and I love this line, that in that day, speaking of the new covenant, in that day, no one will teach their neighbor saying, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And this is the heart of my like life's desire and ministry and calling or whatever you want to put, whatever label you want to put on that, is that every single person has the capacity to know God for themselves. It doesn't matter if they're uh, a brilliant genius or if they're intellectually disabled or if whatever mix of in between any every person no matter who they are no matter what they're experiencing in life can know God for themselves and that the fullness of the new covenant realized is simply a bunch of God's kids hanging out and they all know that they're his kid. We are made to know God. Yeah, that's it. Man, that was so beautiful. I really appreciate you giving us your time today, Andrew, and sharing with us about Holy Spirit. And uh, man, before we let you go, what are you working on now? How can people engage with you online? Well, I just launched my first ever blog post. Something I'm excited about. It's um, And it's at turn or sojourn.home.blog. And uh, sojourn for those like uh, like me that can have trouble with spelling is S-O-J-O-U-R-N. So turn or sojourn dot home dot blog. Uh, I just released my first post and um, love to have people interact with me there and share and do whatever they want to do with that. Uh, there's no consistent schedule for content. I'm not, I'm not committing to like, I, when I write something, it's because I want to write it and it's something I want to share. I'm not trying to like just generate content to generate content. So, but if folks want to go follow me there, they can. I'm back on social media and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Richard Andrew Clancy Parks, or you can find me on Twitter at uh, turn or sojourn. Um, that's my handle. And uh, yeah, that's how they can interact. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I'm really excited about some conversations that'll come online as a result of this podcast. I think you've introduced a really powerful topic and I'm, I'm sure we'll both hear from our listeners in response to it. I love you, man. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.